Years ago, there was a guy named Jake, and he was one of those guys that had a bunch of different kids by a bunch of different women. And uh, like in a, a lot of situations like that, there was a lot of tension in the, in the family between the different brothers and sisters that had been born to different women and stuff like this. But there was this one, one of the younger ones, that was particularly despised by the older ones. And they disliked him so much that they wanted to kill him. But uh, one of the brothers, and, and as a matter of fact, they even put the plan into action to kill this, this 17-year-old kid. But one of the older brothers said, let's don't kill him. And so what they ended up doing was selling him into slavery. So Jacob's younger, at the time, I think, well, he was the second, the youngest son, at the age of 17, was sold into slavery in Egypt. Now, Jacob could have done what a lot of us tend to do when things don't go our way and bemoan our our sorry state of affairs and talk about how that's not fair and it's it's just not right and, and I've been mistreated. But Jacob didn't do that. You read in Genesis 39 and verse 1, Joseph had been, or I said Jacob, Joseph. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, he was captain of the guard, he was an Egyptian, he bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Now this right here tells me, you know, in James it says, draw an eye unto God, and he will draw an eye to you, or close to you. So the fact that the Lord was with Joseph tells me that Joseph was still serving God. He didn't, like I said, bemoan his sad state of affairs and, and, uh, and then justify doing a lot of stupid things. The Lord is with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, an Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Joseph was such a a, a good worker and so trustworthy that Potiphar just kind of neglected what he had because he knew it was being taken care of by someone who was faithful. And so Joseph was what we... The Bible calls in other places a steward. A steward is someone that doesn't own something, but he's in charge of it. Nowadays in, in companies, we probably call this a manager. But uh, maybe under the, the Old Testament back in that time, maybe a steward carried a, uh, a little bit more responsibility. I'm not sure. And so this morning, I want to talk about stewardship. And even though we don't see ourselves in Joseph's situation, we're all stewards. God has made us stewards of some things that I want to talk about. Um, Psalms 24, you know, we, we talk about our house, my car, my clothes, and my dog, and, and my family. But nothing really belongs to us. We're stewards of everything that we have. In Psalms 24 and verse 1, it says, The earth and the fullness... Are thereof are the Lord's. Everything here is God's. He created everything. 
Everything that we have, we're just borrowing. When God put Adam and, and Eve into the garden, he said that he put them there to dress it or to cultivate it and to keep it. That was, that was Adam's job. God made the garden, but, but it was Adam's job and Eve's job to take care of it. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, uh, it says that he made man and gave him dominion over all the earth and over all the animals that are in the earth. The man is over all the animals. He's a, he's a steward. So we're stewards of everything. Before we, I want to talk about four areas that we're stewards. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a couple of qualities of stewards. I've heard a lot of people, and you probably heard them say also on the job, when they start paying me more, then I'll start doing more. Or they say, uh, I'm doing as much as they're paying me for. And uh, I, I really... Oh, that really gets my goat to hear someone say that. And we think a lot of times that when we're in a minimum wage position or when we're just getting started in life or or our first car is an old junker car, and we tell ourselves, like I mentioned, you know, well, when they pay me more, I'll do more. But that's just not true. In Luke chapter 16... Uh, he talks, Jesus tells the parable of the unjust steward, and then he goes in and he talks a little bit about stewardship. In Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus states the truth. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So the person that says, well, when they start paying me more, I'll do more. no. If you're finding excuses to get out of work and not do your best, when you have more, you'll still find excuses to get out of work and to not do your best. I remember years ago when we lived in Lubbock and uh, I'd moved from Plainview and I'd taken a job that that turned out I shouldn't have taken the job. I was making $5 an hour and we had three kids and even back then $5 an hour was not enough to live on. And my mom told me one time, and it kind of shocked me, but when I thought about it, I realized that she was true, uh, what she said was true. She said, you know, if you would take better care of what you have, God might bless you more. And she was right. That's the biblical truth. It says, um, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, or in money and wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Um, we remember the story of the, the talents. The man delivered to his servants one of them. He gave five talents, and another two or three, and to another one. And he came back, and some of the people had done good with what they had been given, But the guy with the one talent or the one responsibility had neglected even that. And so that one responsibility was taken from him and given to someone else. And uh, the ones that had done well with their responsibilities, they were given more responsibilities. And so that's a biblical truth. That's just the way it is. We, We can't get out of that. Another thing about stewardship is when we don't have much, when we're stewards over just a little bit, we're developing habits. And I'll give you an example. Uh, a lot of times 
I know someone that used to was very young or younger and, and very active and and they could just eat just whatever they wanted to. They could eat chocolate and sweets and Dr. Peppers and just all sorts of stuff. And they stayed skinny and attractive and healthy. But then they got older and their metabolism slowed down a little bit. And now they're overweight and out of shape. Because when they were younger, they were developing the bad habits. And that's true with us. When, we, when we've got a job, we've got some responsibilities. When we've got an old clunker of a car... We're developing the habits now. Either we get out there and we vacuum that clunker and we keep it washed and we keep the oil changed or we neglect it because we're on Facebook, watching TV, uh, doing our hobbies. We don't have time to take care of the car. Well, then when we're blessed with a nicer car, we've still got those bad habits. We don't vacuum it. We don't change the oil. And I know people that are 60 and 70 and 80 years old that are have been bad stewards all their life, and they're still bad stewards, even though they have a lot more. So those are just some, some truths about stewardship that, that we can't get out of. So four things I want to talk about real quick that we're stewards over. The first thing that, well, before I tell you, suppose for a second when you were born, or maybe when you turned 16, the government gave you a car, a brand spanking new car. A really, really good car with zero miles on it. The only problem is, this is the only car you'll ever get. If it breaks down, or you don't take care of it, or you wreck it, you don't get another car. And if you lose your car, you can't get a ride with anybody else. You're stuck. You only get one car, and that's the only car you'll ever get. How good a care would you take of that car? Obviously, you would take very, very good care of that car. You realize that when you're born, you get one body, and that's the only body you'll ever get. And if you wreck it or destroy it, you can't get another body, and you can't get a ride with anyone else. So we're stewards over our body. God created us without asking us, He put us in a body. And when, when that's, our time is done, that body's going to go back to dust where it came from. Unlike Dr. Frankenstein, we can't create life. Only God can do that. We get one body. Now, I want to ask you a question, seemingly off subject. In the Old Testament, where did God live or where did God dwell? If you remember, they had a, a tabernacle or a tent. And this big tent was divided, divided into uh, two parts, the holy place and the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was what they called the Ark of the Covenant. An ark just means a box. If I remember right, it was a cubit and a half, which would be about two feet, if I remember right. So they had this box that was in there. And on this bo- the top of the box was called the mercy seat. And on each side of the box were cherubims, which were like angelic beings, and they had wings. And I believe they were made out of gold in the, in the, like this is dark, and they were sitting here and their wings came across and they met in the middle and they touched. You can go back and read all the details. I, that's, I read and that's what I remember. But we read in several places in Genesis, uh, Exodus, where is that? Um, number 7 and verse 89, that God's presence dwelt 
there. Uh, when, when the priest went into the most holy place, God's presence came in and sat on this mercy seat. And that's where God's presence, that's where his spirit was. Now, question. Where does God dwell in New Testament times? In heaven? Isaiah 66, God says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What about in church services on Sunday mornings? Is that where God dwells? Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. I'll tell you where God dwells. First Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What do you think Peter meant in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when uh, the people wanted to know what they should do to be saved? And Peter told them, said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. He's not talking about the gifts of the Holy Ghost, uh, love, patience, all this stuff. You get the Holy Ghost. In um, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul says that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You go to buy a house, and this guy that's selling this house got a lot of people looking at the house, but you're serious about it. You've already talked to the banker. You think you can get a loan. You really want this house. And so you make, you pay him what's called earnest money. You pay them, I don't know what, $1,000, $2,000 or $3,000, whatever. You say, this shows to you that I'm serious about buying this house. And he'll hold it. He won't deal with anyone else because now he's got someone that's serious. When God gives us the Spirit and the Spirit dwells in our body, that's God's earnest money or it's our, his guarantee of our salvation. But with that comes some responsibilities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 19, again, he says the same thing. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in, in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But in verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We can't just do whatever we want to with our body. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're all worshiping God this morning, but when we leave and go home, the Holy Ghost is still in us. We are not our own. We were bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God. Romans chapter 6, where it talks about baptism. It talks about uh, our sins being washed away. And in verse 12, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments or as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans chapter 12, 
Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our bodies are not our own. We were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. We are stewards of our bodies. And the body is important for other reasons that I'll get into here in a few minutes. Another thing that we're stewards of is the blessings that God has given us, our possessions. Just everything, even as it says in Genesis, the animals and the fish of the sea. We're stewards over all the blessings that God has given us. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, Paul talks about God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But even though he's given us these things to enjoy, they're still his. And we're stewards of these things. And we're stewards of our money. P.T. Barnum said, Money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and 24, No man can serve two masters, for he will either love one and hate the other, or he will cling to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If we see money as a, as a tool that we can use to glorify God and to, to make the world a better place, then things go really well for us. If we see money as something to be served in place of God, it's a terrible master. 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He says, Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. We're supposed to share our blessings with other people. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands, that he may give to those in need. We work for ourselves, but we work also so that we'll have enough that we can share it with other people. We are stewards of the money that God has given us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not live in love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There are a lot of, lot of needs in this world. And I don't know, we could argue about it, but I suppose that even though God took the Israelites into the land flowing with milk and honey, I, it seems to me that we are as blessed, if not more blessed, than they were. You and I have things in our house that kings didn't have in their palaces a hundred years ago. We have been so blessed. But it's not ours to keep. It's ours to share and to do good with. Luke chapter 10 and verse 33 through 37, Luke talks about the Good Samaritan. 
A priest walked by and didn't do anything. A Levite walked by and didn't do anything. But a Samaritan who was despised by the Jews saw this man in need, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and he paid the innkeeper to take care of this guy. And he said, you take care of me. When I come back, if, I, if anything else is owed, I will pay you. He didn't know this guy. This was a stranger. But he was using his blessings, what God had blessed him with, to make someone else's life better. It cost him not only his time, but it cost him money to help this other individual. You know, I've heard a lot of lessons in my life, and I can remember a lot of lessons. And and lessons are like meals. You can remember a few good meals that you've had, but most of the meals you forget. But of course you had to have them. If you hadn't had all those meals, you wouldn't be here today. But every once in a while, I will hear something in a lesson I remember forever. And I remember when we lived in Lubbock, David Minson was preaching one morning. He may have been preaching on this subject. I can't remember what he was preaching on. And David talked about the fact that we say, boy, if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And if I ever have the time, I'm going I'm to work for the church. And if, if I ever have the money, I'm going to just give a lot of money to the, to the orphanage there outside of Lubbock. And David said, what are you doing with what you have now? Boy, that hit me. Because we make all these big plans about what we're going to do in the future when we have more, we have more time, we have more money. If the orphanage outside of town here is important to you, you could send them $25 at Christmas time. You don't have to wait until you can write a check for $1,000. You could send them $25 at Christmas time. You could send $5 a month to a charity that's important to you. If when you, when you have more time, if you're going to do a lot of church work, you could visit someone once a week. You could turn off the TV and do it now. What are you doing with what you have now? You know, I said earlier about stewardship. Right now, we're developing habits that are going to carry over. If something's important to us now, we can do something. So we're stewards of our blessings. We're stewards of our time. Ephesians chapter uh, 15 and verse 16 talks about walking circumspectly. It says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. To redeem something means to take something of little value and trade it for something of greater value. A lot of you remember when we were kids or we maybe not kids, we'd go to the grocery store and we'd buy $100 worth of groceries. And in Lubbock, we had gold bond stamps and we had S&H green stamps. And depending on how much, how many groceries you bought, how many, the dollar value, they would give you these stamps. And then you could buy the size of postage stamp. But they'd be in sheets or strings, I can't remember. And you'd buy these little books so you would save these up. And then there was a store downtown, the S&H Green, uh, Green Stamp store, and you could take these books and go instead of buying money, I mean, taking money in and buying these things, you could buy uh, dishes and furniture and TVs and appliances and just all sorts of things. You would redeem your Green Stamps or your Gold Bond Stamps. You would take something with little value 
just this little worthless stamp, and you would trade it for a new sewing machine or a couch, something of value. Paul says in Ephesians that we should redeem our time. Everyone's got time. Everyone's got the same amount. It doesn't matter how much money you've got, what your IQ is, where you were born in life, when it comes to time, we're all equal. And Paul says that we should redeem our time. You drive by the uh, a house and it's all run down and you see a guy sitting on the porch doing nothing. He's just living on welfare. And he's got the same amount of time as you do. But there you are, you've got an education, you've worked hard, you've worked your way up, you started your own company, whatever. You've studied, you've taken night classes, continuing education, and you've got a nice house. You have taken that time, which he's got, but you've done something with it. And you've got something to show for it. You took this little hour or a few hours or months or years and turned it into something of value. And Paul says that we should do that. We're stewards of our time. But Seneca said, the fool is always getting ready to live. They're always getting ready to start, always getting ready to change, always getting ready to improve, even at the brink of death. William Penn said, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. He was talking about death. If we're going to do anything, it needs to be done now. A lot of you know I was a firefighter and a paramedic, and we're all around death to some extent, but not much. I mean, usually when someone dies, it's uh, in a hospital or in an old folks' home or something. But as a paramedic, I saw dead people all the time. No, not all the time, but that we were the ones that were called. I remember walking in this house, and there was this lady probably in her 30s. And she was healthy. I mean, she wasn't, you know, some people you can look at and tell that she was healthy, and she was, had just died. I don't know why. We'd go to car wrecks, and some guy was uh, on his way to the office or something. He had big plans, and he had planned his day out and everything, and someone ran a red light or a drunk driver and just killed him. He was like you and me. He had plans for the day. He was going to go home to his family that night. He had a vacation planned later in the year. And his life was over. Saw that all the time. And we, we never know when our time is coming. We need, to, we need to take care of things now. Jesus one time was traveling. He went into a town and there was a lady named uh, Martha. And she invited Jesus into his house. And naturally, if you invite someone like Jesus into your house, you want everything to be perfect. You want everything to be clean. Clean the corners, the cupboards. And Martha was hurrying, just trying to make sure everything was good for her guest of honor. Now here was Jesus who always talked about righteousness and fairness and stuff like this. And here was Martha working. And there's Mary sitting in there doing nothing, just listening to Jesus talk. Well, that's not right. So Martha went in there and said, 
talked to Jesus and said, look, I'm doing all this stuff and Mary's doing nothing. Get her to come help me. And Jesus told her, he said, Martha, or Mary, has cho-, he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. But Mary has chosen that one thing which shall not be taken away from her. Mary was spending her time on spiritual stuff. If Jesus could talk to you and me, would he say that we're careful or worried and troubled about many things? Our, our IRA, our job, our retirement, taxes, the kids, the yard. Are we careful and worried and troubled about many things? Or are we like Mary? We've only... We've only got so much time. When Jesus was 12 and his parents lost him and they finally found him after three days, he asked him, he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And you and I must be about our father's business. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the judgment day. And he says, you divide everyone up like the sheep and the goats. And then he's going to say to those on the right hand, come into the uh, inheritance I prepared for you. He says, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison. You visited me. I was, I was sick and you came to see me. And they'll say, we never did that to you. We never saw you in those situations. And Jesus said, if you ever saw anyone in that situation and did that to them... That's the exact same as you doing it to me. And so we, we've got to get busy. We've got to be about our Father's business. There's, there's a song we sing. There's much to do. There's work on every hand. Jesus said in John chapter 4, Don't say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. In, John, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We sing the song, There's much to do, there's work on every hand. I never liked a lot of the old timers used to use it. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, I know they didn't mean wrong, just the way it sounds to me. A lot of the old timers, and maybe some of you still say, uh, As the opportunity presents itself. That means like you're just coasting along through life, and every once in a while an opportunity will jump out at, your, at you. No, Jesus said, open your eyes. Opportunities around you all the time. He talked about the sick and the hungry and those in prison and, and so, so much to do. Lucille Ball said, I would rather regret the things that I have done than regret the things I haven't done. Edward Young said, procrastination is the thief of time. We need to be about our Father's business. There's much to do. There's work on every hand. The last thing I want to talk about that we are stewards of, and that's the gospel. We are stewards of God's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says, we have this treasure, this treasure in earthen, earthen Vessels. You know what a vessel is? A vessel is a container. Our bodies contain our spirits. We have the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Have you noticed that in the New Testament, the only time the gospel was ever preached was by a human being? 
Once Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't preach the gospel anymore. He appeared to Paul on the road, didn't he? But he didn't preach the gospel. He told Paul, said, you go in the city and there it will be told you what you must do. And then he talked to Ananias and he said, Paul's going to come to you. And Ananias said, Paul, the one that persecutes your church? And Jesus said, yes, he's a chosen vessel. You tell him what he needs to do. So Paul went to Ananias and Ananias preached the gospel to him. And then Paul was baptized. In Acts chapter 8, uh, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that appeared to Philip. And he said, you need to go this way. And Philip went down there and he ran into... Uh, uh, what's he called, Mike? The Ethiopian. the Ethiopian eunuch, and he preached the gospel, and he was saved. And then the Spirit caught up Philip and took him somewhere else. The Spirit didn't do any of the preaching. He took Philip somewhere else, and Philip did the preaching. You're not going to get the gospel from heaven. You're not going to get the gospel in a vision. We have the gospel in earthen vessels. And that's, where, that's how the gospel is spread. Jesus told... Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, he asked, he asked his disciples, there was a lot of talk about Jesus. Everybody knew about Jesus. Some of them had met him, and a lot of them hadn't. So everyone's talking about Jesus. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they, they answered Jesus. They said, well, some people think that you're Elijah. Some people think that you're John the Baptist coming back from the dead. And Jesus said, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the son of the living God the Christ, the King. And Jesus said, that's right. He said, on this rock, on this truth, I will build my church, but I will build my church, but I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus didn't come down and preach to those thousands of people. The treasure was in Peter, an earthen, an earthen vessel, an earthly body, and so we are stewards of the gospel. There's, this is the first time I've ever used my phone in a lesson. There's a song, I don't know if it's in this songbook here, but uh, a song we used to sing called, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. And it says, When in the better land before the bar we stand, before the judge, the bar, when in the better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be if any lost one there should cry in deep despair. You never mentioned him to me. Oh, let us spread the word where it may be heard. Help groping souls to see the light that yonder none may say, you showed me not the way. You never mentioned him to me. And the chorus says, you never mentioned him to me. You helped me not the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet never mentioned him to me. There's another song that says Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He says we're the only Bible the careless world would read. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I talked, I guess it was last Sunday, about an application. And I compared Kent to Mike. Some, I don't know if you heard of the application this afternoon. And I talked about Mike being a super evangelist and converting a thousand people a day. But here's Kent over here, just a regular old guy. And Kent makes up his mind. He's going to work to convert just one person this year. 
Now to convert one, you probably got to talk to two or three or four or five, but you can find one. And at the end of the year, Kent has converted one person. And maybe it's a couple, maybe it's the husband and wife both. What if all of us made up our mind to just talk to one person this year? Well, there's about 30 or 40 people. A year from now, if you can uh, take into consideration, you know, people to be married and people to have kids, this 30 or 40 people right here might be 80 or 90. We just talked to one person. Yet, I know people, of course, you know, I've got a pool business and we've got lots of customers. And these people, most of them, I don't even know where they go to church. I mean, that's how little I've talked to them. I don't know anything about their religious beliefs. What if we made it a goal just to get started, just to find out where someone goes to church? And that would be a start. And then we'll find out they either go to the same, you know, to Church of Christ or they're Baptist. And now that gives us something to talk about. Well, why do y'all believe this? Why do you go to this church? Did your parents, what is it about this church? And we're off and running from just simple things. We have, we have this, earth, this treasure in earthen vessels. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. There's another story there in, Acts, in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus talks about stewardship. And he starts off, Luke starts off that chapter talking about the unjust steward. He said there's a man that, that uh, had a business or something, and the report came back to him that the guy that was in charge, his steward, was not doing right. It's a parable of the unjust steward. And I won't get into that right now because that's kind of a different story. But one of these days, Jesus is coming back. And everybody on earth, all of us, the people out there that aren't in here, the people at the ball games and the golf course, every one of us is going to have to give an account of our stewardship to God. And we can either be like this one guy, an unjust steward, someone who, who didn't do right. In Matthew 25, Jesus turned to those on his left hand. He said, I was hungry. I was thirsty, I was in prison, I was naked, and you ignored me. You did nothing. He said, we never saw you and had the opportunity to take care of you. No, but you saw other people and had the opportunity to take care of them. But to those on his right hand, said, you did those things. So on Judgment Day, we're going to have to give an account of our stewardship, just like the unjust steward. We're stewards of our body, we're stewards of the gospel, we're stewards of our time, and we're stewards of the blessings that God has entrusted with us. I used to tell my kids, and I guess I still do, my grandkids, I said, your job is to make this world a better place. God has blessed us so richly. He's given us richly all things to enjoy. Let's take our time and our opportunities, our abilities, and the gospel, and let's make this world a better place. So think about this while we stand and sing this song.